morning, church. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Eric Miller. I'm the youth pastor here. And uh, this is, I'm starting my ninth year as the youth pastor here. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, been awesome to see the ways that God has worked in in my life in the past eight years. Uh, And I hope in in your guys' lives too, and your teenagers especially. Um, But this morning, we have the awesome privilege to study God's word, to look into James chapter 2. We're continuing the series on the book of James and uh, the things that we get to see God do. And uh, I'm excited to look at this text. So uh, this morning, would you open your Bibles to James chapter 2? In a moment, we're going to read this uh, passage together, um, and I'm going to just review real quickly soap. We have been soaping. How many of you use soap? Now, hopefully every hand should be, okay, hopefully you use soap, okay? But I'm, I'm asking maybe now, how many of you have used the soap method, okay? The soap method uh, we've been using, we've been teaching on. All right, the, the, let's review. The S stands for scripture. The O stands for observation. The A is application. And the P is prayer, right? Okay, so um, we have Bibles available. One thing that we're going to start doing is we want to encourage you to bring your Bible, okay? Hopefully you will have a Bible bring it. We're going to use it. We use it every Sunday. We're teaching out of God's word. So we want to encourage you to bring your Bible. If you need one, you can raise your hand. The ushers are coming around to give you one. Uh, But the words of the text that we're going to be studying, they'll no longer be on the screen. We're going to use uh, our Bibles to see God's word and to see the text. Uh, So it's just a a change that we're going to make. And this morning, I hope that you're going to take some notes. So the questions that I'm going to ask you, the application questions, they're not going to be on the screen either. So there's that old-fashioned thing called a pen pencil, or if you have a a smartphone and you want to use that, write these things down. Um, I encourage you to just continue to think over those things. Let me pray. We're going to read God's word, and uh, let's let's get started. God, we welcome you here. Lord, we love worshiping you. We love coming into your throne room to sing our praise to you, to give thanks to you. God, would you make your presence known and felt in this place this morning? Send your spirit to speak to us to convict us. God, may this text come alive through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Help us to draw conclusions and the applications that we can put into practice, that we can put into work, into deeds in our own life. Pray these things through your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, would you do this? Would you stand with me? And and let's read Uh, James chapter 2, in honor of God's word, let's just stand together. Uh, James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14. I'm going to read, you can just follow along. This is the New International Version, and it says this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his personal needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some of you will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. Verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Isn't God's word powerful? You may have a seat. I'm excited to be in James chapter 2 this week, especially having Pastor R just preached last week on the first 13 verses of this chapter because I see James chapter 2 as kind of a two-sided coin. There's, there's two sides to James chapter 2, and this morning we're going to just compare, we're going to look at the last 13 verses. Last week, Pastor R challenged us so powerfully through the power of the Holy Spirit. He challenged us to, to look at people the way that God sees them, not to show favoritism, James points that out very clearly in these first 13 verses, doesn't he? He challenges us on how we look at other people, how we view other people, how our actions affect other people. We looked at that. The second half of this chapter, in in my opinion, it so clearly depicts how other people see us. So the first 13 verses are how we see other people. And he challenges us not to show favoritism. The last 13 is how God looks at us, how we should look at us, how we should look at our hearts. And it's this whole faith and deeds. I love the book of James because he really challenges us in this way. James is kind of uh, a both and guy. He's not an either or guy. When you look at James and you read it, James is continually saying it's this and this. In chapter one, it was being listeners of the word and doing what it says. It wasn't one or the other. And so here again in chapter 2, he says it's faith and deeds. It's not just faith. It's not just deeds. And so as we think about salvation, as we think about how does this work, how does this play out in our own lives, I'm aware that for some of us there is this age-old debate of faith and works and salvation. And so we found a video that I think will be very helpful for us now. I want to try to make things simple this morning. I don't want us to overcomplicate things, okay? We're good at overcomplicating things, aren't we? Okay? So I'm going to help us just get started and and give us a little warm-up exercise to get our brains going, okay? There's two kinds of people in the world, all right? This is profound. There's men and there's women, okay? Now, don't think too hard. We're just trying to get our brains warmed up, okay? So we're going to look at a video that's going to help us understand faith and works and salvation. So... works salvation man talk about your polarizing topics everyone has an opinion on them can we work our way to heaven does it just simply take faith and what is an authentic faith well let's investigate the arithmetic behind these important questions and see how the truth really adds up some people believe that works equals salvation simply put this is man's effort to work his way up to God and become acceptable in his sight This is the view of religion, that lots of good works equals salvation. 
However, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hmm, sounds like something is wrong with our equation. So, let's scratch works and replace it with faith. Surely that's all we need to make our equation correct. Well, we need to tread carefully here. Faith is ultimately what makes us acceptable to God. And we know without faith, it is impossible to please God. But this equation is incomplete. James chapter 2, verse 17 says that faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So, works must be factored into the equation. One popular view of the salvation formula is faith plus works equals salvation. People think that belief in Christ is important, but that salvation is still dependent upon doing enough good with their life. They rightly acknowledge the expectation that works are involved, but they confuse why they're there. It may be subtle, but it's wrong. Why? Well, look at this quick math lesson. We can all agree that 2 plus 3 equals 5. Thus, since this equation is true, it also means that 3 equals 5 minus 2. A true equation holds up regardless of how you move the pieces around. We call them fact families. So let's return to our formula. If faith plus works equals salvation is true, then the formula of faith equals salvation minus works must also be true. And Professor James has already reminded us that this kind of faith just doesn't add up. Let's try this one more time. We are saved by faith. But James does add something to the equation by challenging us with what our faith should look like. It's not that works create our salvation. Rather, it's that works should accompany our salvation. That's an authentic faith. Growing in Christ-likeness in such a way that our lives bear the fruit of good works. And yes, I know what you're thinking. If this fact family is true, then faith minus works equals salvation must also be true. So if you have no works, are you saved? Let's just say while we can celebrate God's amazing grace, the expectation of God's word is that we would see the fruit of your real faith. So while the math adds up, it should bother you that your life does not. The fact is we are saved by faith alone, but the faith which saves is never alone. Still not sure about all of this? Well, you do the math. Is that helpful? I hope so. Some of you who, are, who don't get math, you're, you're smoking. I can see the fumes coming. It's okay. We're going to keep going. We're going to hopefully make this simple. I love the, that God's word is active. It's true. It's powerful. It doesn't contradict itself, right? But sometimes when we look at these verses, when we look at, at James 2.17, and then when we look at Ephesians 2.8 and 9, and when we compare those, we might say, how does this match up? Okay, James 2.17, what does it say? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And in the video, we saw Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So is James confused? Is, is Paul right and James wrong? Is, one, is it either or? No, it's both and. And the thing that I love about God's word is sometimes when we, when we don't dig deep enough, it can be confusing. So let's keep reading. I love that Paul 
in Ephesians chapter 2, he doesn't stop with verse 9. Have you ever read verse 10? Look at verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says very clearly, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's both and. Created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so let's, let's not overcomplicate this. Let's make it as simple as we can. I'm going to adjust this here. All right. Jesus gave some, some very clear instructions with these things. Jesus wrestled with this with his disciples. There were people who just, they didn't get it. And he tried to make it as simple as possible. Jesus told a lot of stories. He told a lot of parables, didn't he? He tried to help people understand as clearly as he possibly could. And so in John 14, verse 15, Jesus said very clearly, if you love me, you will what? You will do as I say. You will obey what I command. Pretty simple, right? There's not any hidden message there. Then again, in Luke 6, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So, question. What you believe will be evidenced by your actions. True? What you believe will be evidenced by your actions. You think? Okay, so if I were to ask the people who are closest to you, the people who know you the best, your family, and said, based on their actions, based on their deeds, we're going to describe you, talking about you, based on your actions and your deeds... What do they put their faith in the most? What would people answer about you? What would your children say about you? What would your spouse say about you? Where's your faith? Isn't it true that you put your faith in the things that you practice the most? Is your faith in money? Is your faith in the skills that you have, the things you use your hands and your abilities to do? Is your faith in a person, a relationship? Is your faith in something that you're good at, a sport, an academic thing? What's your faith in? Is your faith in God? Is that evident to those who look at you? See, hopefully, it's evident to the people who know us well. But let's broaden our search a little bit. If I were to ask your neighbors, if I were to ask your coworkers, if I were to ask the people that just you pass by at, at Starbucks in line, or wherever you are, if I were to ask them, what is it that's evident? What are the deeds that are evident in their life? What are those things? Would they say, wow, they put their faith in God? Would they say, oh, they put their faith in image? They put their faith in wealth. What is our faith in? There's three main points here that I think James challenges us with. We're going to look at these this morning. In verse 19, I love that in verse 19, James makes a great point. Let's rewind a little bit. Let's go to verse 18. He says, but some of you will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. And James gives this unbelievably clear analogy. He says, you believe that there is one God, good, good for you, but 
Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. So the first question that I want to ask us, the first thing that I want us to do some heart searching on, write this down. How are you different from the demons? How are you different than the demons? Think about that. I want us to wrestle with this. Kind of a trick question, isn't it? How am I different from the demons? Well, I believe that there is one God. I believe that he exists. I believe that he's all-powerful. I believe that he is in control. And James says, even the demons believe that. And maybe here's another way that you're different. They're afraid. They shudder. Do you? Are you afraid of God? Do you have a holy fear of God? Is that evidenced in your life? The demons don't have good deeds, do they? Do you? Do you have good deeds? Is it evidenced in your life? Let's keep going. Then in verse 20, he says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? It's kind of a silly question because he answers it himself. He says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And then in verse 22, he says, you see that his faith and his actions, again, not either or, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So again, a question for you, do your actions make your faith complete? Every one of us has faith. Again, where are we putting our faith? What things are we putting our faith in? We have a great Old Testament example, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham has been waiting for this promised son that God entered this covenant with him and promised that, hey, you're going to have a son. And then when he finally received that son, what happened? God tested him. He said, hey, I want you to give up your son. Put him, sacrifice him on the altar. And Abraham did it, his faith in action. Then we see Rahab. I, I love the fact that James just includes Rahab because oftentimes we'll, we'll use Rahab as like, yeah, but she sinned. She did all these wrong things. And so here James is like, okay, but remember what righteousness is. Righteousness isn't just not doing anything wrong. Righteousness is doing the right thing. And so it says here that they were both credited with righteousness. They did what was right They put their faith in action. So the question, do your actions make your faith complete? One of my favorite New Testament examples of this, Peter. I love the example of Peter. I love what Jesus does with Peter. I love the the illustrations, the numerous illustrations of how Peter, or how Jesus stretches Peter in his faith. What do we know about Peter? Peter was a fisherman. Right? He was good at what he did. He caught fish for a living. That was how he provided for his family. And so what I did this past week, I went back through Matthew, and I started looking, okay, what were the key points, the key faith-building points where Jesus required a specific action from Peter? And here are some of the things that I found in Matthew chapter 4. It's the calling of the first disciples. Jesus comes up to Peter 
and he's there, he's fishing, he's doing what he's good at doing, and he says, come and follow me. Now, you know what happens? Peter leaves his nets to go and follow. What would happen? Do you think this would, would have been recorded if, if in this scenario, Jesus comes up to, to Peter and the disciples and says, come follow me, and they say, okay, Jesus, thanks for the invitation. I'm gonna follow you with my mind, but we're gonna just stay here and keep fishing. We love you. You're great. We're going to watch all of the miracles that you do from far off. We'll hear about them. You know, I'll watch you with my eyes as you walk away, but I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to continue to love you with my heart and my mind, but I'm not going to go anywhere. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? We would look at that, and we would just say, that's silly. But again, there's action. Jesus said, come and follow me, and they left their nets and followed him, and he made them fishers of men. Then, four chapters later in Matthew 8, Jesus is with the disciples, and they're in the boat, right? They're in the boat. Jesus is asleep, and the wind and the waves come, and the disciples start, they start freaking out. They're horrified. They're like, save us, Lord. They go and wake him up. Save us, Lord. We're going to drown. Don't you care? And what does Jesus do? I, I just kind of picture Jesus waking up, and smiling. How many of you smile when you wake up? Probably not many of you. If you do, there's something wrong with you. But I just picture Jesus waking up and, and smiling at them and saying, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And then he stands up and he says, peace, be still, right? And the wind and the waves die down. I love the question that the disciples ask there. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him. And I love the introspection there. I, I assume that the disciples are then thinking, do we obey him? If even the wind and the waves obey him, do I? See there, they didn't have any action. They were freaking out. Then Matthew 14, there's two key examples of Jesus stretching their faith, putting their faith into action. Do you really believe that God is who he says he is? And if so, then you're going to be seeing it through your action. So the feeding of the 5,000, the first one. Jesus is there teaching. There's all these thousands of people that have gathered around to hear his teaching. And the disciples at the end of the day say, Jesus, send them away. There's too many people here. Tell them to go get something to eat. See ya. Peace out. Go. Take off. Shoo. Right? And what does Jesus say? No, you feed them. What? So what do the disciples do? They go and, they, all right, we're going to work. We're, our faith is in ourselves. Our faith is in the things that we can do. So we're going to go find as much food as we possibly can. And what do they come back with? Peanuts. Nothing. They come back with five loaves and two fish. And there are thousands of people. And they say, Jesus, look, this is all we got. We don't know what to do. Send the people away. Seriously, tell them to get out of here. What are you doing? And Jesus says, watch. <laughs> and he prays, and he breaks the bread, and he passes out the food, and what, there's like 12 basket loaves left over. The last one's my favorite, Matthew 14. Again, Jesus dismisses the disciples. He sends them away. He says, you guys go out on the boat. I'll catch up. They head off across the lake, and again, a storm comes. And what happens? Again, the disciples, they're terrified. They see this image walking towards them on the water. And Jesus says, 
it's okay, take courage, it's I. And they don't believe him, do they? Peter says, okay, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you on the water. And he steps up on the edge of the boat. I just picture the other disciples being like, Peter, get down. You're an idiot. What are you doing? You can't walk on water. That's not really Jesus. It's a ghost, right? And they're like, they're, they're trying to talk some sense into him. But see, again, I picture Jesus just smiling. I picture him realizing Peter's got it. Because notice, take note, that it's not Jesus who said, Peter, it's really me. Get down out of the boat and come. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, hey, send one of, one of you out here to walk on the water. I'll prove to you that it's really me. He didn't do that. It was Peter's idea. It was Peter's faith in Christ being put into action. Guys, when was the last time that through faith, you said, God, if you really want me to do something, that I will do it. When was the last time? When was the last time that your faith and your actions were made complete when they were put together and you did something incredible through God? In all of the things that I have learned through being a follower of Christ, it is that God is who he says he is and that if he asks me to do anything, I can do it because he is with me. God is able, amen? Do you really believe that? Do you? Do your actions show it? Do your coworkers see that? Does your family see that? Do your children see that? Do they see that kind of faith in you as you live out your life? See, we're all about our actions matching our words, right? At work, we say, well, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna put in my hours and I'm gonna earn my paycheck and I'm gonna use the gifts that God has given me to type or answer phones or to change the oil or whatever it is that we're good at doing. We are so good at putting our actions to match our words. When we tell our our spouses or our kids or our family that we love them, we match it with our actions, don't we? Hopefully none of us say, I love you, sweetheart. But then we never spend time with them. We never acknowledge their existence. We do evil things to them, right? People would finally start saying, what, you don't really love me? Right, our actions meet our words. And James is saying here, it's gotta be both. The last thing, verse 26. Look at this. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. My question to you here, are your deeds dead? Are the deeds that you do, are they dead? Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Think about this. Are, are your deeds accompanied by faith? Are your deeds accompanied by faith in God? Have you just been living your life doing these things under your own power, for your own glory, for your own benefit, for your own reputation, for your own good? Have you been doing everything for the glory of God? We are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ to do good works. 
Are we? By grace we've been saved. Through faith we've been saved. We've entered into a relationship with him. When we have that, God empowers us with the Holy Spirit, right? He lives inside of us. Our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Do you think that the Holy Spirit lives in us just so that we can entertain ourselves for our own benefit? Do you think that he he lives inside of us just so that we can have a good day? Do you think he's like an air conditioning unit that works in there that keeps us cool? (laughs) What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit who lives in us? Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're to be in line with the Holy Spirit. We're to be listening to what he is asking us to do and to walk in obedience, faith and deeds. Do you ever think that your deeds can last forever? What you do can have a kingdom impact for all of eternity. Now, I'm a baseball fan, and I love hearing some of the statistics of all of the great players. Some of you sports fans, you you know of all of the the things that people did on the field, right? Their, Their deeds live on. Do yours. Do your deeds live on? Do they make a kingdom impact? Again, it's not by us. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. When our deeds are matched with our faith and when they're led by the Holy Spirit, God can do incredible things. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? This is hard for me. It's really hard. And again, we're so good at overcomplicating things. So if we boil this all down, to say, what, what does this really mean? I, I want to give us an illustration. I have this stool, okay? If, if I said, hey, this, this stool is here. It's a, a good stool. You know, maybe my friend David O'Hare built this stool. He didn't, but if I said he, he built this stool, it's a good stool. It's sturdy. It'll hold me. I know it will. I have faith that this stool will hold me. I believe it with all of my heart, but I'm not going to sit in it. That would just be, that'd be, that'd be silly. Right? That would be me overcomplicating the situation. I, I can sit here, I can, I can praise the stool, I can say the stool has, has all these great attributes. It's a beautiful stool, it's nicely made, it's strong, it can hold anybody. Any one of us could come up, we can sit in it, we could stand on it, we could do all these things. But I'm not going to. Right? And what do you want me to do right now? All of you are thinking, I know what you're thinking, go sit in it, Eric. See. You know, if, if some of you are like, I'm going to make a, a stool out of toothpicks and we'll see if he sits on that. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. But I believe wholeheartedly that this stool can hold me. That it's created for good. It's created for its intended purpose. Are we created for a purpose? Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are. We're created in advance to do good works through faith. For what purpose? For God's purpose, not our own. So I can sit in this stool and it will hold me. I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to doubt. I don't have to worry. I can just sit here. I can sit here all day long and it will hold me. It'll be great. So are we overcomplicating things? How are you putting your faith in action? 
I want to invite the praise team to come back up. We're going to sing uh, this one last song, and, and I, I want to challenge us with something. How are we putting our faith in action? What are the things that God is convicting us of? What are the ways that the Holy Spirit is, is stirring up in our lives the, the things that we're not putting our faith in God? Yeah, we can sit in church on a Sunday morning and say, I believe God is able. I can sing songs about how he loves me. But when it comes time to living out our everyday life, is it really evident? James is, is a challenging book. It says, don't be merely listeners of the word, but do what it says. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Don't show favoritism. If we were to go through the book of James and underline or highlight or circle all of the commands, and then we were to actually live out those commands out of our love for Christ, because Christ said, if you love me, you obey what I command. If we did that, wouldn't our lives look very different from how they look now? Wouldn't we see God do incredible things in and through us what if we even just boiled it all down to James chapter 2 and we saw other people the way that God sees them and we allowed our faith to be put into action and rather than being silly and not sitting on the stool, we allowed God to work in and through us. Wouldn't that be incredible? I'm convinced that there's something that God is asking us to do. Maybe some of you, your faith has been dormant for a long time. You haven't stepped out of your comfort zone. You haven't stepped out in faith and said, okay, God, if you really are who you say you are, then tell me to come to you on the water. I want to see you do a miracle in my life. Today's the day. Here's what I want you to do. During this last song, think about the lyrics that we're going to sing. Think about all the different ways that we can give ourselves to God. But more than anything, what I really want you to do is just tell somebody, what is it that God wants you to do? What is the thing that the Holy Spirit is saying, do this? I don't know what it is. Maybe you need to give up a sin addiction that's in your life. Maybe you need to just be bold and share your faith with somebody. Maybe you need to stop doing something so that you can start getting into God's word. But would you tell somebody what that is? Hey, you know what? The Holy Spirit's really speaking to me right now, and I think that I need to do this. And tell somebody. During this last song, I give you permission to talk to the person next to you, to talk, turn around and talk to somebody else. Come and talk to myself or Pastor Mike. I don't care. Talk to somebody. Tell them what it is that the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Because you know what's going to happen when you tell somebody, when you talk, what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do, when you breathe that into existence? It becomes reality, and it becomes something that you need to do. Stop stalling. What is it that you need to do? And then, when you've done that thing that's going to be hard, we know it's going to be hard to do, but God gives us power. 
He gives us power through the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. When we do that thing, then tell that person, hey, I did it. God helped me. And then we get to rejoice and we get to celebrate and we get to praise God because he is able. He is at work. He is faithful. He is good. He is holy. He is all of these things. We often sing just about God's love, but he is so much more than that, isn't he? Well, how do you know if you haven't put it to the test? 